Hey, good morning, LifePoint. So great to be with you again. So thankful that you've taken the time to uh, view this sermon and uh, want to let you know that we're praying for you. Your pastors are praying for you. Your elders are praying for you. And uh, wherever you are, whatever's going on with you, uh, you're being prayed for. And I'm about to lead us in prayer, but I want to let you know before I do that, that this coming Friday is, as you know, Good Friday. Next Sunday's Easter. So this this Friday, Good Friday, uh, April uh, 10th, I'm inviting you to join with me in a day of fasting and prayer. Uh, we'll be praying for our nation uh, during this COVID-19 crisis. Uh, we're going to be praying for our church. Uh, we're going to pray for um, the spiritual revival of our nation, because I think that God's doing something, don't you? Uh, in this period of time, uh, people are uh, manifesting spiritual hunger, and you can hear it all over the place. Well, what's fasting? You, you may never have fasted. You may have heard the word if you've hung around a church long enough. Um, but what is it? Fasting is, is essentially giving up food, usually, or something else for a period of time as an act of humility before God, uh, as a way of saying to God, you're import more important to me than food, um, but also a way of seeking the face of God. And uh, if you uh, have a physical uh, reason that, that fasting from food is not a good idea for you, uh, totally understand that you might consider uh, the possibility of uh, fasting from coffee or from your cell phone, for example, or from uh, any variety of things that uh, tend to be obsessions with you, things that are constantly calling for your attention. And uh, I'm going to share more details with you as the week goes on, and you'll see those at uh, mylpcoli.com. Uh, or on our Facebook uh, community page. But it's going to be from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., or any portion of that that you choose. But let's, this Friday, Good Friday, commit ourselves to a time of prayer together. So now let's bow together before we move on. Father, we thank you for this new day. We thank you that your steadfast love toward us is never ending, it never ceases, that your mercies never come to an end, but they're due every morning. And we say, God, God great is your faithfulness. We, we have hope for each new day, for eternity, because our hope is not in our circumstances or in what man can do. Our hope is in you. Help us to trust you and to hope in you more. Thank you, Lord, for your presence with us in every moment of every day. Thank you that even in our darkest hours, you are with us. Thank you for your peace that passes comprehension. We pray for our leaders today, the leaders of our nation and our state. We pray for our Surgeon General and those on the front lines of the fight against COVID-19. Grant them wisdom, Lord, we pray. Give them mental and physical stamina. 
We pray for the thousands of doctors and nurses and technicians across our nation who are working tirelessly, courageously to treat and to comfort the sick and to save lives. Protect them, we pray. Bless them. We pray also for our first responders, for our police and our state patrol and our fire um, firemen. We pray for those who are grieving the loss of loved ones. May they know your comfort and may they turn their hearts and rest their hopes on you. Lord, we pray that you'll use this time of fear and of sickness and of death to turn hearts back to you all across our nation. May we all reach out to you in humility and repentance, knowing that as we seek you, you are quick to respond. Strengthen your church in these days, O Lord. Show us how we can represent you well during these days. May our neighbors see in us the heart and the hands and the feet of Christ. Teach us more of what it means to be your church, especially in these unusual times. May we be faithful to care for each other well. Today, Father, we lift Sarah Spaulding and her team at Employment Security up before you. In the present crunch, Lord, we ask that you'll grant them the physical and mental rest they need to remain healthy and the grace that they need to treat each person they encounter with kindness and respect. We pray for Diana Decorion's father and mother as they are also fighting COVID-19, and we ask that you would preserve their lives. Grant peace to their family, we pray. Grant them confidence in your sovereign authority over their lives, the sovereign authority that you alone possess to heal. We continue to pray for Casey Biggs' dad, who's fighting for his life in Arizona. We ask for healing for him in the name of Jesus. We pray that you'll strengthen his body's capacity to fight off this disease. Lord, you know his thoughts and his fears. You know the days that you've appointed for him. And together we would pray healing for him and peace to those who love him. We thank you so much for answered prayer for Diane McKay's friend Amanda. And as she enters therapy, we pray that you'll relieve her of the persistent fever she's been experiencing and that you might grant her the gift of a full recovery. We pray for Gary Hardy and Bob McCauley, each of them dealing with physical illnesses. We continue to lift the Volkart family, Lord, to you as they grieve the loss of Derek. Help us to consider how we can draw close to them even in this time that that we're required to maintain physical distance. And we ask that you'll draw close to them as only you can in your kindness and in your mercy and in your grace. I thank you that Ashley Seiler and the rest of the Sixth Degree Initiative team arrived home safely in the States from Togo. And Lord, as we turn now to your word, we pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts and minds to receive and to understand what you have to speak to us today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. In this series, we've been talking about decisions that we're going to need to make 
as a church in order to fulfill our mission uh, in the coming decade. Decisions for a new decade. And decision number six is this, that we would decide to intentionally innovate with the goal that we as a church will respond intentionally and intelligently and creatively to each new need and opportunity that God places in front of us. You know, as I've been preparing this message, I've, I've kept thinking of a TV commercial from, from several years ago. And the tagline went something like this, Progress Intelligently Planned. Progress intelligently planned. And we're talking this morning about the necessity of innovation in our ministry and in our mission. Intelligently planned and spirit-directed. In order to get to that, I want to begin with this, that the Bible tells us that the Lord God is a creative God. When in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and all that's in them, he did what only God can do. The Hebrew word in Genesis 1 that's translated created is the word bara. It's only and ever used in the Bible of divine activity, of the activity of God. Theologians use the Latin term ex nihilo to describe God's creation. It means that he created out of nothing. Out of nothing. And the Bible says that he spoke it all into existence. Think about that with me for just a moment. And what that tells us is that all of creation had its origin in the infinitely creative imagination the infinitely imaginative mind of the living God. And when he said in each of the successive days of creation, let there be that which he imagined came into being in the physical realm, in all of its primal beauty, in all of its splendor, in all of its vibrancy and vastness, and in all of its connectedness and balance and intricate detail. Part of what that means, then, is that the image of God in mankind is a creative image. You know, the creation narratives of, of some other religions portray creation as an act or a product of violence or raw power. The Bible doesn't portray God's creational activity that way. Instead, it portrays it as an act of love. On that sixth culminating day of creation, when God created man in his own image, he set him in an environment that was replete with raw resources. We meet God in the Bible first as creator, but we meet mankind first as created, in the image of God. The creative capacity of human beings then is a function and an expression of that imprinted image. 
so that when we're thinking or we're acting create, creatively, we're, we're simply acting in a manner that's consistent with who we are, who God has made us to be. It, it should come as no surprise then that imagination and creativity are essential keys to human happiness. I enjoy watching TED Talks. Any of you enjoy TED Talks? I happened to watch one recently by a man named Giovanni Corazza. I didn't have the sense that he was a Christian, and yet he expressed a profound biblical truth when he said this, to think creatively, to think outside the box, is not a luxury, it's a necessity for us and for our dignity as human beings. Not a luxury, but a necessity. And yet our creativity is not like God's in this sense, that no human being ever created ex nihilo, no human being ever created out of nothing. All of humankind's creativity is expressed using resources that God made. We're not creators in the original sense, so what are we? We're inventors. We're innovators. So let's think about those two words, invention and innovation, for just a moment. They're close together in meaning. They often overlap in the ways that we use them, but we need to understand them today in their distinction from one another. In its purest sense, invention can be defined as the creation of a product or the introduction of a process for the very first time. So we might think of things like the wheel, the clock, the printing press, the bicycle, the steam engine, the cotton gin, the, the internal combustion engine, the, the automobile, the airplane, the light bulb, refrigerators, vaccines. What would we do today without vaccines? The telegraph, the telephone, the computer, to list only a few. And I, I could go on and on, couldn't I? Well, what then is innovation, which is where we're headed this morning? Innovation is the introduction of fresh ideas that create value and bring about needed change. The word itself comes from the Latin word to renew or to make new. And when we think of innovation, we think of improvement, of development, of enhancement, of new ways of doing things that bring about intentional, intelligent change. One of the key realizations at which you hopefully arrive as you read through the Bible is that the Holy Spirit is, is neither static nor stagnant, but dynamic, constantly leading his people to innovate. For example, God leads Noah to build an ark to escape a flood. And, and when at last Noah and his family emerge from the ark, they step out into a landscape of a world made new. Moses innovates in his administration of the nation of Israel by appointing judges and delegating authority to them to settle disputes among the people. Gideon implements an unorthodox battle plan 
and wins an improbable victory against overwhelming odds. Uh, Nehemiah innovates in a variety of ways to raise funds, to rally God's people, to repel enemies, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. King David is captured by the idea of building a an elaborate permanent temple as the dwelling place of God among his people to replace the tent at Shiloh. Now, King Jehoshaphat wins a battle over a much larger Edomite army by placing the choir out in front of the army in full sight of the enemy lines. And as they're out there, they're just praising and worshiping God. And they win an enormous victory that day. So it shouldn't strike us as surprising when God says to Israel through the prophet Isaiah, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. See, God is the God of the new thing. God is the God of the next thing. He's committed himself to creating new ways, next ways for his people, every individual, every church. And that's one of the reasons that we can trust him, even at a time like the present, this difficult, uncertain time we're in right now. We can trust him with our future. In the New Testament, beginning with the Acts of the Apostles, we We see the apostles making adjustments, innovating over and over again as they seek to move the gospel forward. For example, in Acts 6, the apostles appoint seven godly men to administer a solution to a sticky problem that had arisen in the care of the Jerusalem church, uh, or that the Jerusalem church was providing for the widows among them. In Acts 16, It's a very interesting story. Paul and company are prevented by the Holy Spirit from going into the Roman province of Asia and preaching the gospel there. And then they try to go to Bithynia, and God stops them from going there. As they were trying to go to both of the places, they thought they should go. Plan A. And plan B, the places it made sense to them to go. The Spirit of God threw up a roadblock. We're not told what that was. But then Paul has a dream of a man in Macedonia urgently calling calling Paul to come over and help them. And he shares his dream with his team the dream team. And together they conclude that the Holy Spirit must be calling them to preach the gospel in Macedonia. And we look at that and we say, well, duh. And yet aren't we like that in in wondering how God would have us work, where he would have us go, what he would have us do? And we can trust him to lead us So they scrapped their prior plans, and in an intelligent response to the direction of the Spirit of God, they innovate. 
They set sail immediately for Macedonia. And don't miss this. God is active in our circumstances, even when he closes doors. He's active in our present circumstances of having to stay at home and away from each other. And in our case, at LifePoint, not being able to finish our building and move in when we thought we would and when we thought we should. But we can trust him. We can trust him for his timing, for his direction. And as we wait, we can intelligently innovate. Later in the Areopagus on Mars Hill in Athens, we see Paul employing an ingenious approach to introduce intellectuals, agnostic intellectuals, to the living God. And he took a different route with them than he did with others to get first to their minds and then to their hearts. And now check this out. Paul wrote this amazing truth to the church in Corinth. If anyone is in Christ... He's a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, when you believed the message of the gospel, and when you transferred your trust to Jesus and what he accomplished for you at the cross, God redeemed you. He made you new. He recreated you from the inside out. And listen, what God did for you wasn't an innovation. He didn't just improve on the old you. A few tweaks here and a few tweaks there. What God did for you was a total recreation. The old person you were died. And an entirely new you came into being. And by his spirit, Jesus came and took up residence in your life. And now here's what he's doing. He's continually, progressively, relentlessly renewing you from the inside out. God has given you a new life, a new nature, spiritual gifts, heightened capacities that he intends you for you to invest in influencing and impacting others for the kingdom of God. Your capacity for creativity, your inclination toward innovation, having been dulled and defaced by sin, are being renewed in the image of Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Near the end of John's revelation of heaven and and things to come in the last days, he he records in the first five verses of chapter 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be 
no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne, as Jesus said, Behold, I am making all things new. Our God is the God of the new thing, the new way, the new person, the new life, the new hope, the new opportunity, the new future, the new heaven and the new earth. He is the only one who makes all things new. You know, today LifePoint stands at the beginning of a brand new chapter of our life as a community of believers, as a missional people. What will innovation mean in this new chapter? Well, it means first, I think, that we'll need to reorient our thinking and our planning to having a campus that's our own that we can utilize 24-7, 365. You know, we've, we've spent 13 years now thinking about how to do ministry without that, with only a portion of a high school building for a portion of one day each week. And our circumstances have oriented us to doing ministry under those conditions in non-traditional ways that, that haven't depended on having a building of our own. But may I suggest this morning that now that we're exchanging the little box for the much bigger box, we still need to keep on thinking outside the box. We still need to innovate intentionally and intelligently. A new permanent campus will require us to engage in some new ways of thinking about our ministry and our mission. We've spent these six Sundays now thinking about six decisions for a new decade, and we've considered that we'll need to decide to work at our worship, to prioritize prayer, to mobilize mission, to rethink relationships, to determine, to disciple, and now today, the decision to intentionally innovate. We're going to need to innovate with regard to all those things and more, which means in turn that we're going to need to be open to and eager for change in the ways that we do things across the board. You know, if you look up the word innovation online, you'll, you'll find definitions like these. New ideas, creative thoughts, new imaginings. Application of better solutions that meet new needs and fulfill new requirements. I also looked up antonyms for the word innovation. And I found these words on one website. Conservation, maintenance, regressiveness, and obsolescence. Let me repeat that. Conservation, maintenance, regressiveness, and obsolescence, antonyms of innovation. And it struck me as I read that list that there's within it an implicit progression. Many churches wither and die because they fail or otherwise refuse to innovate. 
And when faced with the prospect of change, changing culture, changing locations, changing neighborhoods, changing congregations, they'll tend to retreat instead to conservation, to maintenance of the status quo, so that over time, a once healthy and vital church becomes characterized by regressiveness and finally obsolescence. And that story is repeating itself over and over again in churches across our nation. So let's pray that's never true of LifePoint Church. Let's pray and commit ourselves to seeing LifePoint Church as a place where innovation is a celebrated value, where new ideas for accomplishing our ministry and our mission are can be heard, can be valued, can be considered, no matter how far-fetched they may at first seem. When Marcy and I lived in California, her brother John came to live with us. And one of the really fun things that he and I used to do is to sit out on the back patio on a warm California evening and brainstorm new ideas for products and that we could patent and sell and businesses that we might start. And we actually came up with some really great ideas. Some of them were pretty bizarre. Some of them were far-fetched. Some of them were pretty practical. And the process all by itself was fun and it was fulfilling. You know, a few years ago, I saw an advertisement for a new product that we actually talked about on my back patio 30 years ago. The late Steve Jobs, one of the most creative and innovative leaders of the 20th and 21st centuries, by really by any measure, uh, who passed away in 2011, is famous for this quote. Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pigs in square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them. But the only thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward. And while some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the ones who are crazy enough to think that they can change the world are the ones who do. Ones who do. You know, I'd like to raise up an entire generation of crazy ones in this church who change the world because they believe they can, because they're responding to the God who calls them to do so, and because they have ideas that can accomplish that goal. You see, here's an inescapable and, I think, inarguable truth. The church of the 21st and 22nd centuries, in order to keep on being faithful to the authority of God's word, to keep on reaching out to future generations with the the clear, uncompromised message of the gospel, we'll need to keep changing. Not changing the message, but changing its look, changing its leaders, changing its methods. In the nearer view, when when the ban on gathering lifts, whenever that will be, we're going to begin meeting regularly here on this new campus. And I'm inviting all of you and each of you to help us think innovatively about new ways that we can use this campus as a gathering place 
and a launch pad for the advance of the gospel in this community and around the world. To that end, I've asked three people in our church to share some ideas that they're excited about. And the first is Becca Howell. Becca came to me several weeks ago all on her own and and shared with me a vision that she's really excited about. And I got to tell you, I'm excited about it too. I want to be a part of it. So take a listen to what Rebecca has to share. My name is Becca, and I'm going to talk about an idea that I had for something we could do with the church. My idea is to have a public garden on the church property, one that anyone could visit, and also uh, people would be able to take home produce and fruit and stuff from the garden. I am personally excited about this because I really like gardening and I really like plants, so I feel it's my chance to contribute to our church. Uh, I also am excited that we'll be able to provide fresh fruit and vegetables for people. Other people who might be able to participate in this, uh, people who have lots of gardening experience would be important because they could kind of guide it. And also people who have some or not so much gardening experience but are willing to learn or maybe start with simpler tasks in the garden. Also people who can help with building compost bins and raised beds. Uh, This would benefit anyone who enjoys gardening and would enjoy being a part of this and anyone who enjoys having produce and stuff from gardens. It could also... We, we could also uh, par- partner with the food bank, which would benefit a lot of people. So this would help our church because uh, it's a form of outreach, so a, a way to connect with the community. Uh, it's Having the church open to people would m- provide another way to spread the word of God and to share God with more people. Thanks so much, Becca. Great, great idea. I'm on board. I've already spied out the space for it here on our campus. So let me ask this. Who who else is going to step up? You gardeners out there, you horticulturalists, uh, you who who are eager to see uh, the hungry fed in our community, Um, will you join us? Will you help us see Becca's vision come to fruition? Now here's another guy that you're going to recognize, and his name is Bill Marchant, one of our elders and one of our life group leaders here at LifePoint, uh, with a proven idea for a special interest group that builds relationships and and serves people in need. Take a listen. Hello, LifePoint. Uh, just a quick good morning and uh, an opportunity to tell you how excited I am about the possibilities that are being presented to us with our new property over on 26th Avenue. Um, One of the things I'm especially excited about is a woodcutting ministry. Uh, I've been a part of one of those uh, over at Westwood Baptist Church. And while I don't attend that church, my thought all along during the course of the year that I've been working with these folks is that LifePoint could have one just like that simply because we now have the property to accommodate it. Uh, it's a great time of fellowship and discipleship and uh, basically people getting together, praying together prior to actually starting the work and just bonding with one another. So I'm looking forward to seeing something like that developed and uh, take root here at LifePoint Church. 
Additionally, uh, I'm excited about the possibility of, there are a number of people in our church who are recreational, recreational vehicle users and have been a part of that lifestyle for a while. And we have this enormous parking lot that would just accommodate something like that very nicely. So I'd, I'd love to see us um, maybe once a year have a recreational vehicle jamboree where we invite people in the church and even in the community who would like to join us to uh, park their RVs in the parking lot, spend the night there, uh, have time around a campfire, singing, eating, whatever, and then in the morning have a pancake feed in, the, in their incredibly well-appointed kitchen. Um, the ideas are just flowing in now because of, of this property that God has given to us. Very exciting, um, multitudes of possibilities. And so I'm hoping that uh, we'll see some of these take root and uh, become a part of our church. So look forward to seeing this happen and look forward to seeing you all again in church, hopefully very soon. Thanks, Bill. I can, I can hear the chainsaw starting up as we speak. This past fall, one of Julie Baumgartner's long-term visions was realized when she and Joanna Waldanga and a team of ladies began a new MOPS ministry, Mothers of Preschoolers. And because the completion of our building remodel was taking longer than expected, she and her team went looking for another facility where they could begin in the meantime. And they found the space that they were looking for at Harbor Church. And uh, we're incredibly thankful to Harbor Church for their generosity and hospitality in hosting this ministry that uh, just took hold and has been growing rapidly. And then Julie has one other idea to share as well that I'm also personally really thrilled about. So here's Julie. Good morning, LifePoint Church. This is Julie Baumgartner. I have the honor this morning to talk to you about two different ministries that are near and dear to my heart. And the very first one is MOPS. And a lot of you have heard a lot about MOPS lately. Joanna Waldenga and I had the opportunity to start LifePoint Church's first MOPS group this past October. And we have just been so blessed to see it grow. We have about 35 women who come to bi-weekly meetings with their children. And it's just been a great time of connection, of building relationships, of teaching momming skills, to have fun together, um, leadership training and leadership opportunities, uh, mentorship, as well as being able to share the gospel. And it has been such a huge blessing. And I would just really love to see this ministry grow in the next few years that we'll be able to reach more women throughout our community. MOPS reaches women from, who have children from kindergarten down to birth. Um, we would love to see a MOPS Next group start, which is kindergarten and beyond, since mommy does not stop at kindergarten. Um, we would love to see um, our MOPS moms join the LifePoint Church family. We've had a lot of families come and visit. We've had families stay and become very active participants within LifePoint Church, and that's just been really exciting to see. Um, how can you get involved? We would love for you to pray for us. We would love for you to... Um, Invite, invite your family and your friends and your neighbors and the woman you see at the library chasing her toddlers around. Um, we would love for you to become a mentor mom. We would love for you to serve in our MOPS kids program. Um, without MOPS kids, there is no MOPS. Those moms have to bring their children. And it's also an opportunity for us to be able to share the gospel with their children as well. So it's super exciting. Lots of things happening. 
we're doing the virtual meetings right now, and that's been fun to stay connected through this time. And um, we would love to talk to you more if you are interested in getting involved in MOPS. The second ministry that is near and dear to my heart is special needs ministry. Special needs ministry is not only important to me, but it also... Um, impacts my ability to be able to attend church with my family. A lot of you know us. Um, we have a 10-year-old daughter who is autistic. She has oppositional defiance disorder. She has anxiety. We have a five-year-old with ADHD and sensory dis um, difficulties. We have a busy three-year-old. And um, without an opening church family, which LifePoint Church has been just totally open to my family with open arms, but most families don't feel that. They're anxious. They're worried about coming to church. They're worried that if someone says hello to their child, that they will have a meltdown. They're worried they're going to be too loud, not be able to sit in their chair, not be able to participate like other children. How do they get involved in youth group? Um, are there accessibility? Are there's a clean and safe environment for their children? There's all these things that they have to worry about coming to church that most people don't need to. And so it's very stressful time. It's a very difficult time to be able to participate, especially when your children are not on the same level as the other children. So I would love to see a buddy program get started at LifePoint Church. We'd be able to see um, people coming together to help children, teens, and adults alike who need a buddy um, to help them navigate through church services and events and different things that are going on. I would love to see our new building be accessible and safe and clean and a wonderful environment for those with physical health and um, mental disabilities. Um, I would just, I'm so excited about this ministry. It's so important for us to be able to reach these families in our community. So anyway, thank you for letting me chat with you this morning and I hope you have a beautiful day. Hey, thanks, Julie. You know, here's the deal. I, I believe that you too have ideas, things that you've thought about, things that perhaps you haven't shared because you either didn't think that they were worth sharing or you were afraid, were afraid that others wouldn't receive them in the way that you hoped they would. Let me just ask you, please share them. Please share them. What are your innovative ideas? You see, I, I want to invite everyone at LifePoint, new and old, to participate in helping all of us at LifePoint to keep on thinking outside the box in our life together, in our ministry to each other, and in our mission to our community and our world. Where do invention and innovation come from anyway? They come from notions. They come from daydreams. They come from crazy ideas. They come from unexpected circumstances. They come from unexpected connections. They come from the, the creative imaginations of crazy possibility thinkers. They come from purposeful inquiry into the needs of the church and the community. And more importantly, maybe most importantly, they come from the Holy Spirit, from thoughtful reflection on God's Word. And here's something important to consider. An idea doesn't have to be original to be innovative. The real test is whether it adds value, whether it meets needs and fulfills the requirements of our mission and our vision as a church. Decision number six for the new decade is that we at LifePoint 
intentionally innovate for the glory of God, for the advancement of the gospel in our time and in our place. One last note. In order for it to be distinctively Christian, all of our innovation ultimately needs to be about people because Jesus is about people. The question therefore needs to be, how can we get better and better at loving people, serving people, helping people find Jesus, and then helping them follow Jesus in their lives? Remember the words of the prophet Isaiah, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing, and now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. You may feel like you're in a wilderness right now. You may feel like you're in a desert right now. God is able to make rivers flow there, rivers that would flow into you and nourish you and revive you, and then rivers that would flow out of you into the lives of others. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the great opportunity that is ours in these strange times to to innovate and uh, to think new thoughts and dream new dreams and implement new plans. God, I pray that uh, together as a church, we would embrace the future, that we would embrace new possibilities and new dreams and new visions for the advancement of the gospel. Lord, we pray that uh, young and old alike would dream dreams together and see visions and then embrace them and seize them and and put them to work, that uh, we would be faithful now, that we would be faithful in the next generation to be the church of Jesus Christ, proclaiming the gospel, lifting up the cross here in Olympia and around the world. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.